happy to have joining me right now, Beto O'Rourke, former Texas congressman, former Senate uh, Democratic candidate for Texas, former presidential candidate and head of Powered by People, a Texas organization focused on grassroots mobilization to turn the Texas state legislature blue. Uh, Beto O'Rourke, welcome back to the program. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be with you again. We've been all, of course, uh, talking about and responding to the revelations from Bob Woodward's book about uh, Donald Trump and what he knew about coronavirus going way back to February, that it was deadly, that it was worse than the flu, five times worse, that it was uh, affecting young people as well as older people, all things that he would spend the next weeks and months denying, and he even admitted to Woodward that he uh, wanted to play it down. Talk a little bit about uh, your response. You know, I I wonder if you feel the same, but I I just don't find it to be surprising in the least. And I I guess at some level, I'm grateful that it's been documented, that it's been recorded so that it's incontrovertible. No one can say, well, I I don't know if the president really said that or that's fake news. No, we've got the president on tape saying exactly these words and resulting in the deaths of now more than 190,000 of our fellow Americans and more than 13,500 people here in the state of Texas. But but here's the thing that, that gets me, Michelangelo. I don't know how much even this damning revelation is going to do to change his polling or prospects in this next election. I, I really believe that, you know, I'll speak as a Democrat, that it is so incumbent upon us to reach out to, connect with, and turn out our voters. And, and if we do, we will win because, you know, the president can call neo-Nazis and Klansmen very fine people. He can inspire a mass murderer to drive 600 miles and open fire in a Walmart in El Paso and kill 23 people with an AK-47. He can crash this economy by failing to respond to the deadliest pandemic since 1918. None of that seems to shake the support in, in his base. And, and so I think these records are good for the accountability that will follow after this election. But but for the time being, let's get people out. And if this is added motivation, then then so be it. Unfortunately, as, as you and I both know, there will be no consequence in, in the Senate, um, no consequence uh, from Congress as a whole following the failed trial after his impeachment. So we've got to win this one at the ballot box. And, and to that point, uh, there really has been an awakening uh, among people who may not have voted before, among Democrats, progressives who maybe didn't vote in the last election. And we're certainly seeing that on the ground uh, in places like Arizona, in places like North Carolina, and certainly in Texas as well, where we see House races, um, certainly we saw in 2018, um, an enormous uh, movement, and you certainly <laughs> helped to do that, uh, coming close in winning that Senate race, but also House races that moved uh, into the Democratic column. We see more uh, coming for 2020. Uh, we even see the presidential race uh, very competitive, and uh, your group, Powered by People, uh, working in competitive state uh, House districts, also trying to organize to get every single one of um, the 254 counties of Texas, uh, calling and texting every single Democrat. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, bringing tens of thousands of new voters into the fold, uh, doing the kind of outreach you're doing right now. 
It's, it's really exciting. And, and you're seeing this state come into its own. And this is a state, as you probably know, that's been voter suppressed and voter intimidated effectively for the last 144 years. And it's produced one of the worst voter turnout states in the union. And, and not because we love democracy less than the folks in, in California or New York or Idaho or anywhere else. It's just we were drawn that way. Racial gerrymandering that diminishes the power of black voters and Latino voters and, and really uh, undermines the, the likelihood that they're going to vote at all. Um, the most onerous voter ID laws in the country, 750 polling place closures over the last eight years. And, and it'll be no surprise to you that most of those polling place closures occurred in the cities with the fastest growing black and Latino populations. And then this very cynical approach to 2020, where in the midst of this pandemic for a virus against which none of us have immunity, they are not allowing mail-in voting except in very extraordinary circumstances. So they've closed all these polling places and they're concentrating more people into fewer locations and forcing them to vote in person. So this is what we're up against. But because of the work that so many volunteers are doing over the last four years, since the last presidential cycle, more than 2.1 million new voters have entered the rolls in, in Texas. I think that may be more than the population of many states in the union. And that's just the new voters since 2016. And as you can wow. guess, um, those voter registrations tend to favor Democrats as this state becomes increasingly diverse, a minority majority state, and is home to the most diverse city in the country, Houston, Texas, where they speak 120 languages in the public schools. I believe against all those obstacles that I, I laid out just now, that the, the diversity, the strength, and the power of people that you're finding in Texas is going to overcome these challenges and produce a record turnout, as we did in 2018, a record turnout in this presidential election year that will help to elect a Democratic majority to the state house, which can then begin to dismantle this infrastructure of suppression that has been institutionalized forever in the state of Texas. And then this, and, and this is the, the holy grail, I think, in American politics, the 38 electoral college votes in Texas, if, if they are pledged to the Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, for the first time in 44 years, 1976 was the last time Texas voted for a Democrat for president. If that happens, I think the impact is going to be seismic. It will absolutely shock the conscience of this country. And, and whether or not Donald Trump accepts the results in the national election, I think the nation will be forced to because um, Texas is indisputable. You know the game is over when you've lost Texas, and it forever reorders the political landscape and what is possible for the foreseeable future. So this, all our marbles are, are in Texas on this one, and it is, it is totally possible by the numbers, by the math, by the trajectory we've been on, and it's powered by people volunteers have made 25 million voter contact attempts over the last six months. And we hope to do another 10 to 15 before Voting begins on October 13th, um, really soon, I think 33, 34 days away. So, so, yes, a lot on the line, but I feel very, very good about our prospects here in Texas. And I want to uh, tell people the website for Powered by People. It's poweredxpeople.org, uh, and people can go there and check it out and help out. Uh, certainly uh, so important to do what you, what you can from all over the country uh, to help uh, turn Texas blue uh, up and down the ballot. There's a competitive Senate race um, as well in Texas. M.J. Hager we had on the program uh, challenging John Cornyn. 
Uh, you've called him the single single greatest enabler of Donald Trump in the Senate. This was a race I think a lot of people, at least outside of Texas, didn't think would be competitive at all. Tell us more about the push to unseat him and how things are playing out. It's really surprising, and, and I think it even defied my very rosy expectations for what was possible in Texas. You have the Democratic nominee, M.J. Hagar, who came out of a very long primary process that was extended by COVID. We didn't have the runoff for the U.S. Senate nominee until July 14th. So she's really still fresh from winning that election and just still rolling out a statewide organizing campaign and fundraising effort. But she's made the most of that time and raised an extraordinary amount of money, reached a a very large number of Texans, and his double-digit polling lead that John Cornyn had that, that many people thought was unassailable, it's down to four points right now, and it's moving very quickly in the other direction. And I think what you said by way of introduction of Cornyn, that you know, I, I'd called him the, the single greatest enabler of Donald Trump, the more Texas voters understand that and understand, you know, given your first question about the revelations in the Woodward book and the fact that the president – knowingly lied and downplayed the severity of the virus that has now killed more than 190,000 people. When, when you understand that John Cornyn has been his ambassador to the people of Texas, his enabler on the floor of the Senate, his translator, when the president says something extraordinarily offensive or stupid or an outright lie to, to the American public, John Cornyn's there to, to reshape those words so they're a little more digestible. When, when people can make that connection um, and, and understand that John Cornyn is Donald Trump in Texas, then, then MJ Hagar, in addition to all of the assets, expertise and experience she brings to this, I think she has a really, really good shot. And all of this is mutually reinforcing. These state house candidates, as they expand the electorate and generate energy in their races, they shoot voters up the ballot to the Senate race and then from there up the ballot to the presidential. And so you kind of turn this idea of coattails on its head. And, and instead of waiting for votes to come down from the top of the ticket, you send them up from the bottom of the ticket. And it's, it's really one of the most beautiful expressions of grassroots democracy that I've seen. And it's happening in, in the most challenging of times where you can't knock on doors, you can't hold town halls or public rallies. You've got to do this by phones and text and to some degree, social media. But lo and behold, it's happening. And, and it's pretty exciting. It, it really is about uh, hard work, and it's about a progression building over time. You really did enormous work and paved the way uh, in 2018, uh, coming within three points of Ted Cruz in that race. That was the closest uh, U.S. Senate race in Texas since 1978, and it really opened up the possibilities. Again, I don't think anybody thought John Cornyn would be in this situation right now. But it really uh, is a testament to the hard work that, that, that really has to happen over a period of years, which happened probably, before, I know, before Donald Trump, but certainly since Trump was elected as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a guy who is your, um, you know, many people's ideal of what a U.S. senator looks like, right? Big, tall, white guy with a cowboy hat, and belt buckle and cowboy boots from Texas and, um, you know, big John Cornyn. And he's kind of um, established this um, this uh, reputation of being a or an image of being a moderate when when you look at his voting record you know he's just lockstep with with Donald Trump Donald Trump is if there are any coattails 
at all from the top of the ticket. It is it is kind of the negative coattails of Donald Trump and his connection to all of these Republican office holders and nominees up and down the ballot. And and for, for good reason, because they've had the chance, especially, you know, you just mentioned the, the Bob Woodward revelation. They've had the chance in the last 24 hours to disavow this president and to express their sympathy for the families who've lost a loved one in the midst of this pandemic or to connect the dots between Trump's, you know, rhetoric on immigrants calling them animals and an infestation and the shooting deaths of 23 people in this city of immigrants in, in El Paso. And at every turn, they, they've been complicit and they have enabled Donald Trump. And so they're going to go down with him. And um, and I think there's there's some real political justice in, in what's about to happen. Now, it's not going to roll of its own accord, and, and we can't just wish it to be true. And I think that's why, as you said, this is born of really hard, grinding work. We're going to do a two-and-a-half-hour phone bank tonight with four state house candidates, and I'll be on the phones as well for those two-and-a-half hours. And we're calling unproven lists of Texas voters and phone numbers. So you get a lot of wrong numbers. You get folks who are in the middle of dinner who don't want to talk with you. You get Trump voters who tell you to go jump in the lake. And then you get your, your you, you find your Democrats who may not have known um, you know, who the state rep candidate was and may not have known the election date, may not know that they may qualify to vote by mail. You make that connection and it's all worth it. And when you extend that work over thousands of volunteers, the impossible suddenly becomes possible. So I'm, I'm as, as fulfilled and, and grateful and happy to be alive as I can remember, despite the darkness of this moment, because you know, I, I have a role, you have a role, we all have a purpose right now in doing everything that we can. And for us, it's it's this grassroots organizing in Texas. And and we certainly hear it from people uh, calling the show from Texas and uh, who are active and organized and just doing amazing work. I, I wanted to get um, your, your quick thought on the uh, report about the whistleblower now uh, alleging that uh, top Department of Homeland Security officials um, played down, uh, instructed career officials to modify, you know, modify reports uh, on threats from Russia, but also from white supremacy. And I know this is something close to you, uh, because, of course, uh, we get back to uh, what inspired uh, the El Paso shooter and uh, the white supremacy that Donald Trump uh, emboldens. Talk a little bit about that. You know, here's what's so dangerous about this monomaniacal obsession with the border, uh, the border with Mexico, where we've never had a terrorist or terrorist group or terrorist incident connected with someone crossing into the United States and, and doing us harm, where we have literally tens of thousands of asylum seekers, mostly moms with their little kids, stuck on the southern side of the border in the Orwellian-named Migrant Protection Protocol Program, where we took kids from their mothers uh, in the Trump administration by force if necessary, deported mom back to El Salvador, put the kid in a cage, lost the lives of six kids in our custody and care. And this is the wealthiest and most powerful country in the world. And, and really no threat, at least on a national security perspective, at the U.S.-Mexico border. So, so what happens when, when you focus on where the problem isn't? You allow the real problem to, to fester mm. and flourish and hurt us. And that's the white yeah. nationalist terrorism that we see across this country. And certainly we saw realized here in El Paso where 23 were killed. So this, mm -hmm. this is the consequence of, of the lies, the cover up 
and and this uh, very nativist, mm-hmm. hateful, racist focus on the border. Uh, I want to really thank you for all the work you're doing and for coming on and speaking to us about it again, telling people uh, poweredxpeople.org is the website for Power by People. Uh, Better O'Rourke, so great to have you on the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Better O'Rourke, who you can follow on Twitter, of course, at Better O'Rourke. We're back in a few minutes. This is the Michelangelo Senior Ellie Show on Sirius XM.